to our dear audience from around the world for being with us during this season. We appreciate your support. This is our final episode of the year 2023. We will be back on air on January 15th of next year for season number three with more filmmakers sharing their stories about their crafts, as well as those filmmakers who will be willing to share their pathway skills through us to bring suggestions. For that purpose, you can contact us at info at cinemapathway.com. Nevertheless, we wish everybody all of your desires and projects become real during 2024 with health, wealth, and love. Welcome film industry professionals, film buffs, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast presented by Paradoxical Films, and I'm your host, Michael Angelo Malachi. Guys, join us on a journey behind the camera and most importantly, beyond what we know about cinema and the craft of filmmaking. So sit down, grab your popcorn, drink your soda, and let's ride the cinema road together with Cinema Pathway. Welcome to all listeners across the world to your new film family, Cinema Pathway Podcast, with your host, Michelangelo Malachi. This podcast is for film buffs, film lovers, film critics, people who make films, people who watch films, and people who just like to talk film. You found your new family. All right, let's get right into it. From making movies to making money and making the world a better place. These are the goals, and I'm assuming the mission statement of our next guest, Miss Joanne Butcher. Is that right? Yes, kind of. (laughs) We'll get into that kind of later. (laughs) But I'm just going to make her blush a little bit more, guys, because she this is an amazing woman in in our studio today. As an expert in fundraising, Joanne has supported her clients through various channels, including major donors, grants, foundations, corporate sponsorships, and over 40 successful crowdfunding campaigns. Yes, guys, Joanne is making money. With 143 feature films in various stages of development, from script to distribution, Joanne's specialty lies in helping filmmakers raise funds to get their projects made and distributed globally. Yes, Joanne is making films. And finally, you're not blushing enough. Are you blushing yet? I see a red. (laughs) Beat red. I love it. I love it. As a founder of Unstoppable, a disability film festival that caters to putting people with sometimes lifelong debilitating disabilities to the forefront, like Miss Joanne Butcher, who had a thyroid issue, right? Right? You're putting people like you, and you guys remember Miss Juliet Romeo, right? Yeah, they, they, she was a brainchild, but she got together with Joanne Butcher and they created magic. What they do with this film festival is that they dedicate their times to mentoring and developing the careers of young creatives like moi. She's making the world a better place. It is an honor to introduce Miss Joanne Butcher. Take your seated bow. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) She's beat right, guys. I love that. I love that. All right. First question. What was the moment you realized you had a skill for doing this? And by this being a consulting producer? Well, I had 
been ill for a very long time. I tried to get away from film, failed in that. Uh, and I found myself back in the world. But I had, I really had been ill for many years. I'd been too sick to work for seven years. Seven years. And it finally dawned on me. I thought, well, you know what? If I can only work two hours a week, what if I go back to working with filmmakers? Mm. And I had this realization that I have a very unusual set of knowledge. And uh, what it is, is that I used to run the Alliance Cinema and uh, Alliance Film Video Co-op, IFP Miami, it was called eventually. And I used to teach screenwriting, right? So you start with the script and then production, post-production. But I used to run a cinema. It was the Alliance Cinema. It was on Lincoln Road. Really beloved organization. It was a first-run cinema, which means we showed movies when they first came out and we were required to give the box office numbers at Mm. the end of the week. And uh, so when you now read in the papers, such and such a movie made such and such a number, it's because all the cinemas are reporting their numbers in. So we were part of that. And um, what I realized is that in running a cinema, you have to work with the distribution companies. You have to choose the films that you're going to show. You choose those films based on the excellence of the film, but also if it's going to pay the bills. And you have to pay the bills, right? So we chose films. um, We were very well known for often showing films that got four stars in the New York Times, for example. We were very well known for showing LGBT films. And so... So all inclusive. Very inclusive. And so we worked with distributors. I selected, curated the movies. We showed the movies. So that's exhibition and ticket sales. We worked with the press. We worked at marketing, and ultimately, it's about getting the butt in the seat. That's um, film industry technological language is butt in seat. Butt in seat. <laughs> is that like a, a film term? Is that it's a, a film term. Okay. So if you guys are not getting butts in seats, you're not doing your job. Go ahead, That's Janet. right. So <laughs> what I realized, though, is that there are very few people who know film from the script to production to post-production to distribution, exhibition, marketing, sales, butts and seats. And you're that middleman. I am that person because the nonprofit world, the education world, film schools, film festivals that do the teaching and the education, they do not know the way the business works. The people in the business are not in the business of teaching. So when it comes to distribution, exhibition, marketing, press, ticket sales, um, that is the way the industry works. The money. The money. Yes. But the education system really doesn't know that world. And so they don't teach it. So, for example, even though I teach fundraising for film and I teach the business of film, so far I haven't taught at a university or anything. And most film schools don't teach anything about it. Um, I had a client, I'm half Trinidadian, by the way. So I had a client in Trinidad. Trinidadian? <laughs> Actually, Tobago. Oh, Tobago. And so you have some flavor in this podcast today. Oh, we have flavor. <laughs> we have flavor. We are in Miami. Miami. We have flavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my Tobago client, uh, Jared Primer, his dream was to go to film school in the U.S. 
I was like, great, great dream. And uh, his idea before he met me was he was going to go into debt for $150,000. I said, now you all look surprised. I am. People in America go into debt for $150,000 to go to school all all the time. You know what? That is a very good point. Yes, that is true. All the time. Uh-uh. English people, we don't go into debt to go to school. No. Anyway, but don't get me going. So, <laughs> Jared, I said, no, we're not going to do that. So, gotcha. he, Jared worked with me. He got a Fulbright scholarship. Oh, and awesome. so, if you get a Fulbright, you get your accommodation paid, your tuition paid, everything paid. But you have so, to have good grades for that, right? Well, he was he was very good. He was, by then, he'd already been a, out of school for years. He was a drama teacher in a high school. He'd been teaching Or at least a good years. standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, so he got a Fulbright. So that saved him $150,000 right there. And um, So you he, guys do it the right way and you save $150,000. That's right. That's right. Because cause <laughs> fundraising works in two ways. You okay. can either cut your expenses or you can raise money. Right. And if you do both, then things come together. So anyway, he's in film school and he had worked with me. So he'd learned a lot. He was telling everybody what to do. And (laughs) it came to his making his thesis film. This is very common. Mm -hmm. Make a thesis film when you're getting your master's degree. He was at the University of Florida in Tallahassee. So he had worked with me. So he said, oh, I'm going to raise some money. They said, no, you're not. And it's against the rule of the university to raise money to make your film. This is common. The same university that's basically putting you into debt says you can't raise money to get yourself out of that. That's right. But this is another thing. So he was not allowed to raise money. But as he realized, there are plenty kids in the school who come from wealth and money. They can spend however much they like on their films. I love that. Ingenuity. So... He couldn't do that. So the system is teaching people to not raise money. The film system is teaching people. So there may but be. you are. Yes. Yes. There Ladies may and be gentlemen, she is. Here or there that teaches it. But as far. Look, if I were God, I would teach everybody fundraising. Yeah. I, I, I would put it in high school. Because what a great skill. You know, like the girl guides, the, the scout, the scouts, the girl guides that teach, sell the cookies? Oh, Girl Scouts. The Girl Scouts. Uh-huh. Yes, they are learning fundraising at this age. I never thought of it that yes. way. Yes. Wow. They are. Le- I have met professional fundraisers. And you say, when did you become a fundraiser? And they said, when I was still selling Girl Scouts cookies. Wow. Oh, this is a great way for another question. I like this. There's a movie called The Mentor, right? And basically the slogan is kidnapping is anti-kidnapping. I mean, what a title. What a statement. Ultimately, right, did you have a mentor that helped you achieve your success in both film and the business world? I had a mentor definitely in the business world. Yeah. Yes. Uh, How did they help you? But it was, it was really funny when my client came up with that name, the mentor. I was really scared. I was like scared to read the script. Why? I was like, oh, my God, what is this? Is this going to be about me? It wasn't about me. It was about a mentor who was a film director. Yeah. So in the in the story, this young woman wants to be a film director and she has this um, hero, you know what I mean? Heroine, yeah. who's uh-huh. this film director who's very famous. 
And in the beginning of the film, she she gets to meet this director, and the director is super mean to her, really mean. Doesn't As want some anything are, to do but with anyway, her. I digress. Go ahead. And then, <laughs> out of the blue, the a car comes along and nearly runs over the director, and the young lady saves her. So the director says, "Okay, I'm going to mentor you for a day." And she is. Very mean, very mean in her mentorship. And uh, like a lot of film teachers or a lot oh. of teachers. Oh, we can't say the- that. Oh. Or yes, we can because we're on Cinema <laughs> Pathway podcast where we talk about the truth. Go ahead, Joanne. So anyway, she so she's getting mentored for the day. And, and then lo and behold, they get kidnapped. So they're kidnapped together. That's the story. That's the story. So the, the mentor was, thank goodness, not not about me. But the <laughs> the way I no, this got, is not Joanne. Remember, guys, she's the anti that. I'm the anti anti yes. kidnapping mentor. Yeah, that, that sounds right. <laughs> so sounds better in your head, right? <laughs> many years ago, when I was just coming out of my seven years of illness, I had I had a part time job. You were bedridden, job. right? By I the was way, bedridden for seven years. Seven yes, years with migraines. And I had just started work. I was I was so excited because I was working five days a week. It was only maybe a couple of hours yeah. a day, but I was working five days a week. I had, you know, a little tiny bit of money, you know, for the first summer years because I had lost everything by then. I had credit cards that were maxed out. I didn't have any access to money. I, I, everything was gone. Wow. I, I really had no family. And so uh, I had this little job and I had a little tiny bit of money. And um, at my job, they brought in this couple, Mark and Shannon Granger, and they were business coaches. And they gave a 20-minute talk. And in that talk, I was like, I want to work with those people. And the thing that they said that really got me was they used a phrase, they called it uh, spinning your wheels. And they said a lot of entrepreneurs spend a lot of time spinning their wheels. And they they went into it a bit more. Well, a year before I met them, I had designed my fifth website and not launched it. And a year before I met them, I had said, you know what, Joanne, you keep designing websites, you keep planning on launching your business and you're not doing it. Why don't you stop? (laughs) Because you don't know what you're doing. It's not getting you anywhere. And just at least stop designing websites. So I stopped designing websites. And and that opened the the door to being a consulting producer. When when they said entrepreneurs are spinning their wheels, I was like, hello, that would be me. (laughs) I've designed five websites. I, I haven't started a business. I don't know what I'm doing. Sign me up. So... I went to this uh, weekend that they did, free weekend that they did, mm-hmm. and uh, they they had a $15,000 coaching program and a $1,500 deposit. So they had uh, another coach, Jim Padilla, his name is, uh, do the sales call with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the call and they needed a $1,500 deposit. And I was, I was dying to do that program. Hadn't worked in seven years, had absolutely no money. Right. So Jim said, well, what if we had you put in a thousand dollars deposit? I said, I don't have it. Well, what if we had you put in eight hundred dollars? I said, I don't have it. He said, let's have a look at your bank account. Let's open your bank account. I said, "Okay, sure, we can open my bank account. I can tell you how much is in it. There's two hundred and four dollars in it. That's my groceries for the month. Wow. 
So, so what did you do after that? He said, I'll take $200. And I gave it to him. And gave, you were left with $4. I gave him $200 to be the deposit to get in the program. And I think I paid it. It was over 15 months, I think, $549 a month. And when I paid it off, I said to them, was I ever late? Did I ever ask for an extension? They said no. But before I signed up for them, I didn't have $549 a month. Within three months of working with them, I was earning $10,000 a month. Not as a coach at first, not as a coach, because I hadn't even really settled on what I wanted to coach yet. But that weekend, I went to Shannon and I said, you know, I keep listening to you talk and I and I something comes up and it says, work with filmmakers. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because that was your true purpose in the first place. Tried that, failed at that. And then she, they would talk a little more and it would be, work with filmmakers. No, 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 no. And finally, the third day, I said to her, Shannon, I keep having this come to my mind. I, I, I want to work with filmmakers. Because you finally listen to the voice. I want to work with She said, oh, that's so great. And I'd never heard anybody say that before. And she that's said, why that's all those so other great. things didn't work. You see? Because it was pointing you toward your destiny. Yes. Right? And she said, I, I said, well, I don't think I can make it work. And she said, well, we'll make sure you do. And they were the ones who taught me how to have the shape of my business and how to run my business. And if it were not for them, I wouldn't be here today and I would have no business. I would still be sitting there thinking, I'm not going to design a sixth website, but, you know, I wouldn't have had anything. But but they and they're still in business and we're still in touch. And they and then the person who did the sales called me, Jim Padilla, he's also a coach of mine and he specializes in sales. But between the, them, they are the ones who got me to where I am today. So I know what coaching is and I know what it is mm-hmm. to be in the place where I was at, which was. I think that there's something that I can do with my life. They want me to pay them $15,000. I don't even, I mean, I couldn't even, couldn't yeah. even consider it. They took $200 off and it changed everything. And so when now, when I speak to filmmakers and we have my sales call with them and they're like, oh, I don't have any money. I know what they're saying to me. What they're saying is mm-hmm. I don't have the confidence in myself to pursue my dream I don't have the confidence to make a sacrifice that is going to hurt. I don't have the belief in myself. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with how much I charge. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with that having a dream is a life and death thing. But you have to make that sacrifice. So basically, guys, calling to all filmmakers, consulting producers, actors, I know that everyone has a dream, ultimately, and it's a good dream. It's a positive dream, something given to you by God, that voice, because so all those things that you had, those business ventures that failed, failed for a reason, because you had a greater purpose in the future. But guys, when you meet that crossroads in your life, when you're in that valley, when no one else believes in you, and you have always failed business ventures, but the dream is right there, like that mountain. Do what Joanne did. Make that final sacrifice. Guys, she had $204 in her bank account. 
Now, for all those people who think, oh, it's all about having the connections and the money and knowing the right people. Yes, she knew the right people, but she was willing to sacrifice everything she had to her last dollar and look where she is now. Because you decided to go forward. You didn't drown in your misery. You didn't drown in your sorrows. Being seven years bedridden, if it weren't for your experiences, you wouldn't be the woman you are today. And for that, my hat goes off to you. And to find the right people who took me. One of the special things about Mark and Shannon, Mm. they had us do a particular piece of work. And they said, you need to finish this piece of homework before you come to our next class. And if you haven't finished it, you can't get in. Now, nearly every coach and mentor that I've ever met does not behave like that. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. (laughs) Hold that thought. That the juice... I, I know exactly who you're talking about. There are people who see the dream and they don't respond the way you want to, but you go on anyway. And with that, stay tuned to know more about the moving making connoisseur, consulting producer of Hollywood. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it Hollywood, Miss Joanne Butcher. As we slice into the meat of how Joanne has made it as a consulting producer with over 100 independent filmmakers under her belt and participating in the distribution of 21 feature films, which would have been 22, but I just learned from Joanne that uh, one person decided to back out. If you want to know more about that backing out, please stay tuned to this podcast. But as always, if you feel like commenting and listening more to this podcast, remember to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com slash store. Actually, we have Miss Juliet Asson. She's here in the studio. She has this beautiful uh, Cinema Pathway uh, shirt-looking thing. I have to get one in black, so I'm going to get one in black for the next one. Uh, you go to paradoxicalfilms.com slash store to get all of your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for all the behind-the-scenes photos and more. See you in the next slice. Are you tired of all my neat references yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> See you in a minute. Welcome to Tell Your Story. It is a masterclass hands on workshop that is presented by Cine Video Tech and brought to you by Paradoxical Films. You will learn how to work with actual film, 16mm, super 16mm, 35mm, and film cameras. In addition, how to load them and change magazines. Furthermore, The workshop will prepare you on how and what it takes to work on set as a first or second assistant camera, the fundamentals of lighting, and the pathway to become a director of photography. For information about the classes and updates, join us next year. Everything will be posted on our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com slash tell your story. Welcome back, film family, as we slice into the mind of filmmaker and consulting producer, Joanne Butcher. I realize as artists, most of us are laser-focused on our crafts, right? Our storytelling, our poignant points of view. But there is one aspect that needs to be addressed, and in my opinion, it's just as important as art itself. How do you pay for the actors, the sets, the crew, the makeup people? And the list goes on and on and on. Long story short, let's talk about money. 
Are you ready to talk about money? I love to talk about money. Show me the money. <laughs> you know, by Cuba, you know, Cuba Judy Jr., you know that movie. We all know that, right? Show me the money. All right. One of the three pillars in Joanne's mission statement is to make money. So Joanne, simply put, how do you make money making a film? You know, I don't know if it was just the way you said it, but I, I hear the voices of many, many filmmakers when you say make money and they there's there's a whole list of objections they have. No, it shouldn't only be about the money. It should be about the art. Mm. It should be about inspiration. Yes. It shouldn't be about the money. So filmmakers get very triggered by the word money, mm. which is why I use it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Which is why she uses it all the time, guys. All the time. Because uh, I never said make money and make pieces of shit films. I said make money. And so I believe, you know, so filmmakers are my favorite people, okay? I want my favorite people to do well. I want my favorite people to be successful. Why are they your favorite people? I guess there's a sort of level of uh, craziness that's attractive to me. Filmmakers, <laughs> filmmakers. I like that. But, but, but they're very dedicated. They work very hard, super hard, very committed and um, extremely passionate about what they do. And so it's interesting because, you know, anybody who is a coach who's – trying to promote themselves and their services to get clients, we all end up tra attracting a certain type of client. And now after many years of doing it, I know who my client is. Mm. And my client is an extremely dedicated and committed person who really wants to do good in the world. Mm. Even if they're making a horror film, I don't, I don't mean that it's all idealistic kinds of films or anything like that, but they're very dedicated. So it's interesting when they come to me, if they have already written a script, I'll read the script and it's always good, which is interesting, you know, because there's a lot of bad scripts out there. Okay. <laughs> but the people who come to me have worked so hard. You know, I have a client right now. His script is absolutely brilliant. Rick James, if you're out there. Rick James. Uh, Rick James, his name is. And he had his name before the other Rick the James. The other Rick James, yes. And his script has been through 120 rewrites. It is so 120 good. rewrites? It is so good. What is it about? Can you give us a little taste? Um, it is a sci-fi adventure. And I, I, I can't do actually a, a really good Usually I can, but I can't with this one. Um, but it's a super fun sci-fi adventure, and it's called Moons Over Terra. You can buy the book. Ooh, I like that. And, Moons um, Over Terra. It's uh, going to be shot in VR, so it's a, a VR project. But VR. absolutely fantastic script. And I've told him, you know, you need to take some time to enter your script into competitions and things because it's going to do really well it's so crazy good it's a sci-fi adventure that's going to be done in, in virtual reality yes i mean that's a winner already already doesn't matter right? what that's that's a winner already. it's already a winner <laughs> if you had to work with a dream filmmaker who would it be since you love filmmakers well i love all my clients all my clients are doing amazing things i was just talking on the way up here uh so juliet romeo um yes has we've worked in a disability film festival mm -hmm. and I have currently 
quiet... You know, she just recently won the 48-hour film uh, festival, uh-huh. by the way. She won, right. and that's yes. one of your clients. Yes. So just yes. mentioning that. And uh, so she has a friend who's now my client who is a disabled filmmaker, and she's making a film called Hashtag Autistic While Black. So it's a film about autism. So... They have a lot of black celebrities in the film. Uh, it, it hasn't autistic been made yet. Autistic while black. Yes, autistic wow. while black. Okay, that's interesting. And then I have another client who is making a film, a fiction film called Troy's Amazing Christmas. And Troy is a seven-year-old autistic boy who gets separated from his mother in the shopping mall at Christmas and gets kidnapped by these completely useless teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this okay. whole adventure that happens and he ends up being helped by a mall greeter who is also autistic. And it's the loveliest fun script. I mean, that literally sounds like a winner. Yeah. Without and even- so I'm just I'm just mentioning a few of my clients' films, but they come to me with these great projects. So I'm not talking about anything except excellence. All right. Excellent. Excellent, excellent projects. Now, why should a filmmaker who is making excellent projects not get money? I mean, we've seen a lot of films out there, not mentioning any films in particular. I'm just saying that we're just made for the money that don't have a a unique story, don't have a powerful message, and really don't have anything positive to contribute that was made just for money. You work with people, right, that have all those components together and have the power to make box office success. They haven't been trained. As I said, even if they went to film school, they haven't been trained yes. in, in the money side of things. So most cl- filmmakers come to me with a, I have clients who've never made a film before. Mm. I have a client who's the director of a film school and everything in between. And they know a variety of levels of filmmaking skill, yes. but they all share zero fundraising skills. And so... I, I don't really even talk about excellence with my clients. They already arrive that way. They arrive that way with, with fabulous projects. I could go on and on and on about my clients' fabulous projects. So how do you make this happen? I know that you came up with an acronym, SUCCESS, right? Mm-hmm. S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Mm-hmm. Can you break it down for us? Because yes. this is and essentially e- the, fu- the fundamentals of what you do. I've only had for a couple of years that, that seven-step process yeah. that's you know, and uh, a coach was the one who helped me get there because okay. I, I raised my hand one day. And I said, you know, every client of mine is unique. Every film is unique. I mean, every film is different. Yes. And I don't see how there's kind of a methodology that I could teach. And she said to me, well, can you imagine that one day you will know? And I said, OK, I could see that. And she said, and do you know that today you don't? And I said, yes. And she said, well, one day you're going to know. And then I figured it out. And so my methodology, which is the word success, stands starts with a script. Gotcha. Every, every filmmaker knows we start with a script, right? right? What they don't know is the concept of a marketable script. And so I facilitate distribution for all my clients' films. Okay. So if you go down the road, there's distribution at gotcha. the end. And I work, I've worked with distributors for 20, 30 years, right? So that's my world. I'm, that's very familiar to me. It's not familiar to most filmmakers. Can you break down what a distributor is? Because some people may not understand. What does a, a movie distributor do? 
Okay. So uh, maybe the easiest way to say it is when I ran the cinema, Uh if I was going to show a film next week and it's called Queen's Gold. I don't know where that came from. That's a good name. Queen's Gold. Okay. And so I'm going to have to call up the, the distributor who is licensed to show that film. A filmmaker made Queen's Gold. But the distributor has licensed the film and they are going, their job is to put it in places for people to see it. Movie theaters. Well, in my case, I was running a movie theater. So they would, we would put the movie in the theater okay. and we there would be a split that it changes, but let's call it a 50-50 split. Gotcha. So the cinema keeps 50%. The, then the distributor splits that revenue with the filmmaker. Okay. So the distributor is an, an essential piece in the life, the journey of a film. Or else but your most film won't be seen. Filmmakers yeah. are not thinking about distribution. And so when I meet them, I would say, well, more than 50% of filmmakers, I say, what would you like to see happen with your film? Well, I'd like to get it into a festival. And what they think is that if I get it into a festival, then I'll get distribution. But um, there are a handful of festivals that are really markets. They have the name festival and title, so we get confused. So Sundance Festival, Toronto, Cannes, Tribeca a little bit, uh, South by Southwest a little bit. Yeah. Rotterdam, Berlinale, and uh, those are markets. Okay, so those are markets. Distributors go to markets to buy films, to acquire films. And so, and that's why it's important to get your film in the festival just so it's it's seen by distributors to buy. But this is the problem. Uh huh. There are about thirty three hundred film festivals in the U.S. every year. Yeah. There are only five where f- where distributors attend. Which ones are those? I just named them all. Can you name them again? All right, guys, get I a get a, pa- a pen and pencil. Uh, Seriously, and now I'm doing it in the chronological order throughout the year. Please look. Okay, so there's only five places where it's, movie it's distributors who could make. Okay, Tribeca. Tribeca. Okay, Rotterdam. Rotterdam. Berlinale. Berlin. Okay. Cannes. Cannes. Toronto. Sundance. Okay. And so, a little bit south by southwest, so it's actually seven. Okay. Because Tribeca and South by Southwest, there's some business there. But but it's six. So if you're willing to get your, 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 your movie to make money, right? Distribution. I think those are the seven you should put your eyes to, right? No. No. Okay. That's not what I think. <laughs> no, no, no. What do you think? I like it. So, what do you think? So filmmakers are confused, all right? So they, they don't realize that there are seven places where you can do business with distributors. The problem is they're they're trying to get their films into film festivals and there are basically 3,327 film festivals where there's no business happening. And so when when you see on film festival posters all the time or you hear a film festival, I'm an award-winning filmmaker, you know, my film won an award at the Idaho Central... Yeah. Yeah. We get it. Uh-huh. Right? So the methodology is completely wrong. Mm. Because as far as I'm concerned, I am not willing to rely on whether my film gets into one of those seven film festivals or not to get distribution. What I'm are not you relying base on? My, that, 
well, I work directly with distributors. I work directly with distributors. I work directly with sales agents because they all want to acquire films and I send them films that they want to acquire. So I don't need to go through a film festival. And so then... If I if one of my clients gets a film into one of those three thousand three hundred and twenty seven film festivals yeah. that are not of any business value, that's fine. You can still go to a film festival and have fun. I love to go to film festivals. Of course, yeah. I'm just not going there expecting to sell my film. Mm. Okay. And Take note, guys. That was very important. Yes, and then. Every year, and this is becoming more and more uh, well-known in filmmaker world, is uh, the American film market, which happens in Santa Monica every November. Now, the distributors are all there. Well, not necessarily the biggest ones. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh uh, Small and uh, mid-tier film distributors are there. And AFM spends, I would think, many hundreds of thousands of dollars marketing to filmmakers who come from all over the world and spend their very hard-earned money going to AFM, being told that if they go to AFM, they'll meet people who will have the money to make their films. But it's absolutely not true. The distributors are there to sell movies. And in the last few days, they're willing to look at movies to buy. And so I've been there with clients with finished films, and my clients do very, very well. I just had four clients at AFM with finished films. And last year, I'm waiting to hear the results for this year, but last year, one of my clients got 15 offers of distribution for a film. Okay, just going to AFM. But she was one of maybe 10,000 filmmakers who were there with no films. They were there with a script or an idea, thinking because AFM told them, to come there because they were going to get money to make their films. I really object to that. What was the most challenging film you've ever had to get funded? Do you have any, something that was really challenging you thought maybe one of that last person who pulled out, remember out of those 22, uh, cause you would be 22 to mm-hmm. distribute films. Mm-hmm. Right. You have a little story about that yes, last person the who pulled out one. Well, and why they pulled out. That's a very interesting thing because yeah. I I have this concept. I call it the clench. You know, when you when you just clench up. Oh, know, the clench. The clench. Okay. When you uh, either you're freezing cold and you clench up, yeah. or something frightening happens and you clench up. You know, um, and so I have this concept. I call it the clench, and it's when in your creative flow you get you get frightened or something happens to stop you and shut you down. And as a coach, a lot of my work is to help people through those kind of things. But, oh, yes, because filmmakers are stuck all over the place. So it's not flight or fight. It's freeze. It's freeze. Wow, there's a third one. Freeze. Freeze. Copyrighted. (laughs) (laughs) It's been copyrighted, guys. Freeze is a very common one. Yeah. Yeah, a so lot you either of people, fight or flight, but you know people who are like stand in the middle. They do nothing. They just freeze. Oh yes, but how do they freeze in with, the film world? With filmmakers, what I find is that they freeze at the place I think is most logically where you wouldn't freeze, and it's right when they're going to put their film into distribution, and so they've written the film, they've raised the money, they've produced the film, they've finished all the post production, which is a bear. That is a lot of work. Yeah, congratulations to get that point. Yeah. And then they have to turn their baby over 
to a sales agent or a distribution company. Bum, bum, and bum. They freeze. And this is the first time that I've ever had this happen with one of my clients because I prepare them for this. They don't understand it when I explain it to them because it doesn't make any logical sense. How did your client freeze? Um, I think that with her, what happened was we were looking at several different distribution companies and she, I don't know if she just got overwhelmed with all the contracts and everything, but all of a sudden one day she said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to reshoot my film. Reshoot an entire film? Yes. What? Yes. It's really, really a shame. But she's not the only one. She's just my first client. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I know who shall be nameless uh, in here in Miami, some people who made three films that were not in distribution. And I, I told them. That's so no, sad, though. Yeah. I mean, to but go through all that work. Too scared. And, and so filmmakers in the last several years have learned that many, many distribution contracts are really appalling. They are, they are absolutely not in the filmmaker's best interest. Wow. I have a client, for example. Yeah. So I have this client yeah. and he's making a documentary, but his first documentary was fantastic film. I mean, fantastic. It's called Bastards Road. And Bastards Road. Bastards Road. And it's about a, a Viet, I'm sorry, not Vietnam, uh, Iraqi, Iraqi vet, Afghani vet, I that I, I might get it wrong. Anyway, and um, he comes back from the war and he's working and he's living with his family and his wife and his kids and his life is going along. And one day his mind just explodes and he suddenly has this onset of PTSD out of nowhere. And boom, uh, boom. just boom. And he has to leave his family because he knows he's going to yeah. harm them. That's it, yeah. And he ends up. By the time we meet him in the film, he looks like some crazy homeless person you would see on the street. But this could really happen to anyone. No, this did happen to somebody. <gasps> oh, it's a true this story. Happened. No, it's a documentary. <gasps> he, it, it, it happens to people all the time. So he um, he knows he's not going to survive this way, where, where he's at mentally. So he somehow he's inspired. He comes up with this idea to go and walk across the US. He walks from one side of the country to the other. Yes. And on the way, he stops in and he meets various brothers and sisters who he fought alongside. Now, half of them are dead. Right. Oh. And and so he goes and he meets their families. And it, it makes me choke up just telling the story. But so he goes on this walk to try to save his own life. And he stops in to see the, the people he fought with. And if he didn't, if they're dead, then he meets them, maybe their wife or their mother. And, you know, and I mean, it, it's such a beautiful film. What's the name? What's the name? Bastards Road. Bastards Road. And with that, guys, if you want to know more about Bastards Road. Bastards Road. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit memorized, mesmerized for please but forgive me. But I have me. to just finish by yeah, saying yeah. one thing. By the time my client met me, the guy who made this fabulous movie yeah. that took him years to make, he had signed a contract. Do I want to say the name of the company? Hmm. Anyway, not a company I would let any of my clients do business with. And... He had already signed a contract by the time he met me, and that contract is for 10 years, and he's never seen a penny from that movie, and he never will. 
How tragic. But that uh-huh. is a very common story for filmmakers. So filmmakers are now becoming aware that they can the get risk. into really bad deals. And so now this is what's happening with the clench. And that's why they need you. Yeah. So they don't freeze. They don't clench up. You help them free free themselves of that. Yeah. And you almost take on the responsibility of that of that fear and doubt that they have and give them some ease about that. Well, also, I, I'm not a lawyer and I'm really actually terrible at contracts, but I know the red flags in a contract. So I can look at a contract and say, don't no, you need to change this, change this, change this. So you're better than a lawyer. You're a personal friend <laughs> who has the inside scoop about what's really happening. Yes. Hold that thought. I like that. Yes. Next. Next, we talk about how Joanne makes movies while simultaneously making the world a better place. I mean, they're not mutually exclusive, right? Mm-mm. I mean, the best movies are those that make the world a better place. Yes. But also, you know, uh, make a little money, obviously. Nobody wants to go from that. But ultimately, if you're not brightening someone's day and giving them a different perspective on this ever-changing life, then what are you doing? Yeah, film is a fantastic opportunity to change the world and and change people's lives and as i said the kind of people who come to me tend to have that very idealistic approach and as i said if somebody wants to make a a horror film that's just a horror film about people getting killed i'm in so it's it's not like you know it's not like i'm like oh it has to be uh, no uh but because i want my interest is making having helping people make the film they want to make it's not the film I want to make. Helping people make the films they want they to make. They want to make. All right. As always, I like that. I really like that. Seriously. As always, if you feel like uh, commenting and listening more to this podcast, remember to subscribe to Cinema Pathway Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com slash store. Especially click on Joanne's episode. Seriously, guys, to get all your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us on Instagram at Cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for all the behind the scenes photos stories and more see you in next we would like to take a moment to thank our partners who help make this podcast possible cine video tech has been providing film equipment training and services to the film industry both inside and outside the u.s since 1968 m2 films which provides directing writing and assistant director services and com tv offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment, marketing, advertising, and commercial projects. Oh, I like that. Welcome, film family. Welcome back to Cinema Pathway Podcast with Miss Joanne Butcher. Are you having a good time? Excellent time. Thank you. I'm talking about movies and making movies uh-huh. and making money and helping filmmakers. That's my favorite thing. That's hey. And it's not all about making money. It like your is colleagues all about making No, it's oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do you make the world a better place with what you do? Well, I have a belief. This may sound a little odd. I believe that storytelling is a life and death experience. How and so? that... Because when we tell our stories, that's what makes us human. Uh, I have a client and her name is Karen Reese and she's so cute. When I, when I met her, 
it was on Clubhouse, and this was a couple of years ago. My colleague Tanya Kersey, who's since passed away, uh, she she was the founder of the Hollywood Black Film Festival, and she had all these producers on who were like super famous now and big big names. And Karen came on, and we didn't know her. She said, well, you know, I need help getting my documentary made. It's about my uncle and I want everybody around the world to see it. And other people who are not coaches and who are not educators, they don't know how to deal with that. Right. So they're like, uh, what? <laughs> I said, OK, I've been there, so uh, I get it. your uncle, uh, who, you know, who's your uncle? And she said, well, he just got drafted into the Arkansas Hall of Fame. And I said, oh, that's really cool. The Hall of Fame for what? <laughs> she said, <laughs> basketball. And everybody in the room went, oh, I oh. love basketball. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, we're going down. You know, but yeah. even though filmmakers are storytellers, yeah. they don't know how to market themselves or their films. They just, they just don't know. So, That's where the death comes in. Yes. Because they stop their success. <laughs> but I said to her, okay, so... You're saying you want your people to see the film all, all over the world. But what I would suggest is that the first people you want to see your film are the people in Arkansas, are the people who are where your, where your uncle was from or where the story is from. She's like, no, 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 no. I want people to see it all over the world. I want, And I said, well, yeah, of course, but... But you need your home base first. First of all, the yeah. people who are first going to be interested... Other people from Arkansas, and she resisted this for months. She's she's signed up to work with me, and resisted this for months and months and months. Because they anyway, will be your biggest supporters, right? Your home yes, base. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And she finally had the premiere of the film in Arkansas. How did that go? <laughs> and it How did was that go? People who love basketball, who had been taught by him, who had been coached by him, who had played with him when he was a player, because he's also in the Hall of Fame because he's a player, and and he's still alive. And so you know, and she said to me, Joanne. When we showed the film, after the film, so many people came up to me and they said, we've never seen ourselves on screen before. What was that like for them? And that is an extraordinary moment when you see yourself on screen. And of course, mainstream movies are not necessarily going to show everybody's stories, right? So the importance of that, and, and I, I had this experience myself. So many years ago, I worked at Miami Dade Community College and my boss said, oh, we have this filmmaker coming and you, he, we're going to show six films and you're going to need to MC the nights because anyway. So I said, OK, fine. OK. Yeah. And his name is Sergio Herral and he's an Afro-Cuban filmmaker. Ooh, Afro-Cuban. Afro I like it. Exactly. Latino. <laughs> so... First night we go, I introduce myself. Seems like a very nice man. We're going to show the movie. We show the movie. Uh, he escaped from Cuba with just VHS copies of his film. They were all funded by Icaic and th shot on 35 millimeter. And they they start from the arrival of the first slaves in Cuba. And they show the stories of Afro-Cubans up to 1959. And when he submitted his script about 1959 to Icaic, they said, oh, hell no. And so wow. he, he left. You know, my dad is Afro-Cuban too. Uh-huh. And he told me about those stories. So he basically captured... Yes. Wow. So, uh, and, and Sergio Herral is a very, very important filmmaker. He's taught all around the world. And uh, anyway, I didn't know all this at the time. But anyway, so we show the first movie and... 
afterwards, I'm supposed to lead a Q&A and I couldn't speak. Why? And if you know me now, you know I can talk about anything. I mean, you're speaking anything. a lot now. You know so. I can talk about anything, <laughs> anytime. I can't imagine that. <laughs> well, I'm Trinidadian. I'm half Trinidadian. My father was black. He just passed away. And I had never seen my people on screen before. Now, these were Afro-Cubans, not Afro-Trinidadians. What was it like seeing but it, you represented on screen? I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. It, it's like you have grown up in a world where, okay, I, I am represented in myself. I can look at myself in the mirror, but I had never seen my ancestors portrayed on a screen. And it, the, the, I think that uh, actually, I've never said this before, but I think that something is happening in your brain where mm. you're going, oh, oh. it's like when you see images of people who've never had contact with civilization and they're given a mirror. Yeah. They, they can't see themselves in the or mirror. Or you win an award, right? Uh-huh. After so many years of, of toils and everything just comes to you at once. They get up in the chair. It's like, this person won this Oscar for blah, 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 blah. Now you understand why so many people get clenched up. Because it's like, you're remembering everything. All the trials, all the passion, the the triumphs, the the deaths, all the times you wanted to give up. It, it all comes flashing back. So that's the beauty of I, filmmaking, right? I you see though, yourself represented. For somebody of African descent, yeah. our, our representation has been erased. Yeah. We don't have a representation. A lot of it we has, We don't yes. know where we came from. No. We don't know what happened before the Middle Passage. We don't know much about what happened after the Middle Passage. And the school books aren't doing a very amazing job with that either. So it's nice to get someone with so inside scoop. Yeah, I believe what happened to me was that I saw my history represented on the screen for the oh. very first time and that my brain was trying to actually assimilate that information. That's what I think happened. So I couldn't speak. So the next day I went to Sergio in his office and I said, Sergio, I'm so sorry. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm really sorry. Just well, like that? Was supposed to do I don't know what to Q&A do. <laughs> and I, I don't know what happened, but I was trying to, you know, uh-huh. well, Sergio there and then put me on what I call my master's degree in comparative slavery. And he gave me a whole list of books, a reading list of books that taught me about the difference between American slavery. Now, I had first seen American slavery depicted in the the first series, Roots. Yes. And I watched that with my family. My father was black. My mother was white. Yes. My sister and I both looked mixed. You see the power of films, right? And and we sat and watched Roots together. That was the first time we had seen anything that showed anything about Africa, right? And then it goes to American slavery. Well, what Sergio explained to me was that every island had a different version of slavery Mm -hmm. and that Cuba had the absolute worst. And what the Cuban government decided was that as um, abolition was happening all around the world, you know, it would happen here, they decided, you know what, we're not doing it. We're going to postpone abolition as absolute long as possible. And they decided that they, when abolition happened, that they didn't want to have one person of African descent on the island left. So what they did was they worked their slaves for 20 to 22 hours a day. Their slaves only lasted about two years. 
before they dropped dead. I mean, after 22 hours a day, wouldn't you? Yeah, they had a 100% infant mortality rate. And when you think about the horrors of American slavery, but a baby in America had a dollar value. And so what they did in Cuba was they decided that a baby had no dollar value. And this was how they treated the safe. So, and then I've been to, for example, um, where was it? I saw Bonaire. Uh, Bonaire, they had the slaves, they have these uh, kind of brick homes about this size where they would, where they would live. It, oh. It's really powerful to see what's left. And in Cuba, they didn't give them homes. They put them in animal pens. So... Animal anyway, pens. I got an. I get. This is something like an I, animal. Yes, in a pen. In a pen. A human being. Yes, in animal pens. And so, anyway, now I can't speak. Now Sergio and I have now been close for I don't know twenty years or whatever. He, and he, I, I learned all the stuff from him. I studied his films. His films are absolutely astonishing and incredible and. Um, please, you know, everybody go out and find uh, copies of his films. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite one is called The Other Francisco, and it's incredible. It's What's his name again? The Other Francisco, El Otro Francisco. Yes. And it's based on a 18th century Cuban novel that was written by a white man. And so one third of the film is about in the 18th century in Cuba and the middle class, you know, the wealthy people. And this white man got into a huge scandal because why are you writing a book about slaves? Right? <laughs> so then the second part of the film is about the story of the novel. And in the novel, two slaves, a house slave and a field slave, fall in love. And it's about their story. And they eventually try to run away together then and they die. So it's a tragedy. And this film is all shot in, this part of the film is all shot in, you know, with Vaseline on the lens. And it's all romantic and a love story. And that's the story in the novel. It's a real novel, by the way. It's a real novel that was really written. But see, that's his perspective. And it's all about perspective. Yes. Now, you yes. can make that same movie that's not romanticized, right? That's the third part. So the third part is like a documentary, yeah. as if we were in the 18th century, yeah. and we see the real life of the real slaves in Cuba. Oh, wow. And that's called The Other Francisco, El Otro Francisco. I, it's in my top 10 top movies of all time. Please, everyone, go see this movie. El I've Otro never Francisco. seen this. I'm going to. El Otro Francisco. This is literally my His history. His most famous film is called Maluala, and that was the one that um, is like up to 1959. Mm -hmm. um, but all of his films, as I said, tell the whole history of Afro-Cubans um, all the way. Every single one of them is a masterpiece. Now, if you had a chance... And Sergio is still alive. alive. Yeah. Hi, Sergio. He's still living in Miami Beach. Hi, Sergio. Everyone, Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a chance, right... To distribute that movie, mm -hmm. how will you have changed it or made it, or or would you improve it in any way? Well, you think budget would have made it even better? Oh no, he had budget. It was shot in thirty-five. They are exquisite. They yeah. they are masterpieces, every single one of them. But when he left Cuba, he only got to bring the VHS copies. Wow. So outside of Cuba, nobody's seen the films except on VHS. And you can certainly see the of magnificence course. of the films. I mean, these are epic period dramas. 
beautiful, amazing films. Um, See, that's the beauty of filmmaking, right? mm -hmm. It's not just your perspective and getting people on screen and everyone clapping at it, right? Mm. That's the, the vain side of it. The truth is you're capturing history. You're capturing someone's heart, their spirit. When you leave this world, what are you going to leave? Mm-hmm. No one's going to remember your bank account except for the kids and everyone who wants it, right? We're part of the will. They'll remember that. But what are you leaving here? Mm-hmm. See, he's long since gone, right? No, he's here. No, no, not him. I'm thinking the people who were part of the film. Oh, yes, Some people yes, have died yes, out, people who yes. made the film. The hundreds of people who work in the film day but, and night, right? They're f- died out, but they left a part of themselves here for people to to grab. It's a gift. To fill in the gap. Yeah. For what is missing in our ancestral yes. representation, our ancestral connection to be able to be connected to our ancestors. Captured which on has, film. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah. that for me was a profound experience mm-hmm. to see my ancestry on film. So I know the power of that. So when, a, when somebody comes to me and says, I'm making a film about yeah. people in Arkansas. Yeah. To me, that's <laughs> that's fantastic. Night and day. <laughs> I get it. I get that's it. fantastic, guys. This you conversation know? is so juicy. We're like making love to the to the to the microphones. So shout out to the microphones for yes. uh, for making such a beautiful Hello, ap- <laughs> our podcast voice now. Yes. <laughs> All right. I wanna well, I wanna bring up the moon a little bit, and there's something I call the hot seat. <gasps> Are you ready for the hot Ooh, seat? I just felt that. You felt that? You felt that? <laughs> These beautiful blue plush. All right. Well, basically, it's the segment where we, we ask um, hotter degree questions from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 to 100 degrees. Are you ready? Oh, okay. All right. Your 20 degree question is, in 2023, who do you think is underpaid? You can either choose the director, a Every filmmaker. filmmaker. Every independent filmmaker is underpaid. Underpaid. There, there, there are, of course, a handful who are, who are doing very well. Martin Scorsese just made a film for $100 million. Of course. I think, you know, I, I think he's doing well. Uh-huh. I hope he's doing well. Um, <laughs> oh, he's doing well. I'm, I'm sure he's doing well. Number two, this is your 40 degree to 60 degree question. Bum, bum, bum. Is there a group of artists or filmmakers you think are overpaid? I saw uh, their work and I thought, ah, they get paid too much for what they do. You can skip this, whatever I, you want. Yeah, I hear a lot of people will will you go off into whole long things about, yeah. oh, the industry and they're not telling real stories. And, I, you know, the epic epilogue. I have no interest in any of that. All right. I have no interest. Um, if people are out there making, you know, gazillion dollar movies yeah. and people enjoy it, whatever that's fine hey that works right that works (laughs) your 80 degree question are you ready miss joan butcher i hope so all right all right the recent actress strike is finally over yay Yay. hallelujah i know oprah mentioned that especially with the color purple and she was really happy about that which is wonderful how much of the strike do you think was over position and power versus money itself Again, it's not my thing, gotcha. uh, but yeah. one thing that I learned, and it took a little bit after the strike happened. So the first thing that I learned after the strike started, I was at the American Black Film Festival here yes. on Miami Beach, my favorite event of the year. Yeah. It's superb. I talk it up everywhere I go. Uh, it's the best networking. It's for people. 
African-American filmmakers, people of African yeah. descent, for sure. The Brown but, Dog Mafia, you're yeah, saying? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's just excellent. And um, so there I heard a studio head talking about SAG strike, and he was the first person who mentioned mm-hmm. that SAG was allowing independent film producers to get an interim agreement mm-hmm. Uh, for their films. So I immediately, I had four clients who this coming year are making films that are in the two to $5 million budget. And this is a big deal because yeah. up until now, my clients have been making much smaller budget films. Of course. And so this is now the next step. Big time. So, um, so they're all trying to get name actors and they were all on hold because the SAC so I called them up. I said, no, no, you can get an interim agreement. And so instantly they they applied. And this was back in June. Do you see why you're so resourceful? <laughs> this was back in June. So they all applied. Uh-huh. And one is a film from Trinidad. And we were 100% convinced that SAG was going to say no. Because many years ago for the last SAG strike, uh, the way that the studios got around it was they started producing foreign films. Uh-huh. And uh, and not paying SAG rates, you know, and all of that stuff. But anyway, so um, the next thing was that there was some publicity. There was a famous ex, uh, Mark Ruffalo, I think it was, did a little publicity. And I started to realize that SAG was saying something and they were publicly saying it. This what were they is saying? what they were saying. We want actors to partner with independent producers and create a a way of doing business where they benefit from their names being in the films. Now, in in the sort of Hollywood business model, if I have Denzel Washington in my film, then I know that Denzel and I'm going to make this number up. I'm really sorry Denzel Fantastic if this actor, is not by right. But Denzel Washington is worth let's pretend today is worth 20 million dollars. So if I'm going to make a film and I have Denzel Washington in it, I know I'm going to get 20 million dollars in. Mhm. This is how Hollywood works. The sales agents now know, oh, you have Denzel, that's $20 million. They can go out and they can sell that movie mm-hmm. knowing Denzel's in it. Okay. Tw- no, pre-sale. Pre-sale. Oh, pre-sale. okay. The movie, because Denzel's in it. Now, if I'm going to make it, this is one of my favorite questions. Yeah. If, if I know I'm going to make $20 million, how much am I going to spend on my movie? Wow. What are you... What would, what would you spend? If I knew, hmm, maybe about 40 to 50 million. Oh. Maybe. That's some really bad business there, Mark. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just an actor. Do you see, see how, do you see the okay, differences? Okay, I'm, I'm going to teach you everything I Please know in business. Please teach us and teach everyone One day, on the podcast. One day, I said to a very wealthy man, how do you get rich? He said, well, you make a widget for 50 cents and you sell it for a dollar. I swear that's everything I know about business. Wow. So if I'm going to I'm going to ask you again now that I've taught you my one thing that I know about business. Okay. I'm going to make 20 million dollars because my movie has Denzel Washington in it. Yeah. How much am I going to spend on making my movie? 10 million. Okay. Now we're making money. I never thought of it that way. So one of the one of my sayings is that filmmakers are the only people I know who will make something for 20 bucks and sell it for three wow because that's not business that's not business no that's not good business so it's interesting that i you did this demonstration for me thank you so much great yeah 
Denzel's in my film. I'm going to spend $40 million. Absolutely not. Are you guys listening, filmmakers? This is really important advice. Never sell for more than you're willing to put in, ultimately, what you're saying, right? No, you don't want to spend more than you're going to make. You never want to spend more than you're going to make. All right. Right. And that, we stay tuned as we cut into Joanne's. No. Yes. What a cliffhanger. I know. What a cliffhanger. Would, would you have to go to the, the fourth segment? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. As we cut into Joanne one more time as she bleeds out knowledge. And she's been bleeding out so much knowledge about her future film projects and her brand new book. We have to market you. Come on. We have to promote you coming out on the shelf in 2024, January 1st. January 1st. The yes. beginning of the year. If you want to start off your year brand new with new knowledge with with knowledge and i can help you in the future go buy her book and we're also going to talk about you headlining a filmmaking competition with a two hundred thousand dollar prize is that right that's right you heard it that's two hundred thousand dollars thanks if you want to know how to make that (laughs) stay tuned to the fourth segment but as always if you feel like commenting and listening to more of this podcast Remember to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our store at paradoxicalfilms.com store to get all your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us, please. Please follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for all the behind the scenes photos and more. See you in a bit. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, and we hope that you do, we hope, right? Support us by subscribing to your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating. Then head to our online store at www.paradoxicalfilms.com slash shop. Again, that's www.paradoxicalfilms.com slash shop, where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Also, don't forget, follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast again that's cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for all the behind the scenes photos and more welcome back film family we are back with joanne butcher She has directed a first-run cinema and film school in Miami Beach, Florida, where she created the Florida Feature Film Competition. Now, what do you think of that name? Mm. See, I'm very bad at names. I like that. I'm very bad at names. What's wrong with Florida Feature Film? Because it's so boring. It's not boring. I like it. It's to the point. it's what... It says what it means. Yes. It says what it was. What it was. I don't like things that are uh, superfluous, meaning that things <laughs> that, you know, I don't like being flowery or going around it. No. Say what you mean and yes, mean what you say. Me. Boom, boom. Yes. I don't like vague talk. Right. I like direct to the point. All right. So what was the competition, right? Yes. Who are the winners and what are they doing today? So for a variety of reasons, yeah. I'm not going to say the name of the winner. You got it. But so uh, the competition was um, the prize was twenty five thousand dollars in goods and uh, in cash. Ooh, and twenty five thousand dollars cash. Cash uh-huh. and one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in goods and services. So camera rental, entertainment lawyer, casting director, Ed Arenas. Um, Wait everything. a minute, Ed? Yes. Oh, I know Ed. Oh, yes. he's he's worth the money. Absolutely. He's amazing. 
except this was, he gave his services for free, right? He gave yeah, yeah, part yeah. of that. So anyway, the reason I'm so glad to be talking about this because that $25,000 cash came from Cinevideotech, where we are sitting today. Dun, 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 dun. Isn't that fabulous? And who so, gave it to you? Egon Sheila, who was the... Stefan, Stefan I'm sorry. Egon Stefan. Egon Stefan. Junior. Junior. Egon Stefan. $25,000 yes. cash, which was the prize. And he gave it in honor of his father, who had just died and who built Cinevideotech. And wow. of course, Cinevideotech is a rental house here in Miami, Florida. In Miami, Florida. And, um, <laughs> and, and so. Great segue. I like that. His father had basically, you know, supported every single independent filmmaker who made a movie ever in Miami. Wow. So. Then we had this big event uh, at the brand new then, this a, gala. a long time ago, gala, a gala at Parrot Jungle. And we brought our six finalists. And uh, one of my judges was, and I, I never remember his name. He, he's passed away now, but he played Lance in Apocalypse Now. I'm a huge fan of Apocalypse Now. And I I, I was such a fangirl when... <laughs> Sorry, winners are doing things, basically. Even the finalists are no, doing No, no, no. This was a judge. Oh, judge. judge. Okay, okay. And um, so we had six judges, various professionals. He was an actor. And, uh, and we had six finalists. And of those six finalists, now the winner... Who I don't want to talk about. Yes. Um, the oh. that crew hasn't done anything since that film. But mm. two of the finalists have gone on to become very successful film producers. One of them is Brian Benson, who is a very close friend of mine in, in San Francisco. He's taken about eight films to Sundance. Wow. Uh, he was the producer on Sorry to Bother You, was one of the last films that he he worked on that I know of. And then Jamin O'Brien, who's a very close friend of mine. Jamin was a Miami. Uh, producer. He's now in uh, New York. And um, he has also, he's on his like eighth, tenth film. The last wow. film that he produced was called Eileen. Actually, that was a great story because uh, I have my own podcast. It's called The Filmmaker's Life. And What's I it called again? The Filmmaker's Life. The Filmmaker's Life. Podcast the, helping the podcasts. The Filmmaker's Life. <laughs> And um, Cine video too. <laughs> and Cine so, video. And Jamin was one of my first guests because when COVID hit, I was like, oh my God, people like Jamin, who I can never get hold of because he's always on set somewhere, yeah. somewhere around the world. Everybody was at home, right? So I interviewed Jamin and uh, he, his latest film. Uh, so, so one day uh, I get a text from Jamin and he says, uh, thanks for getting me the job. And I, I, I was like, what? I texted back. I said, was this for somebody else? Yeah. And, he, and he picked up the phone. He called me. He said, so usually when I get hired as a line producer or whatever on a movie, yeah. I, a, a producer, I get hired by the line producers. They interview me. And then if they like me, they introduce me to the director. In this particular case, he said, the line producers called me. They said, the director wants to hire you. Wow. He said, Really? That's strange. And they said, well, that's how it is. So he gets on a call with this director. His name is William Ackroyd. He made Lady Macbeth, which is a, a an independent film that wow. really blessing, did yeah. very, very well. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's English. And uh, so Jamin gets on the call with him and and the guys hired him. Yeah. He's hired, you know. So Jamin's like, oh, what, how, what's going on? How, he said, oh, I saw you on a video. I saw you on a podcast. And Jamin was thinking, oh, 
he said, was it, is it that really boring finance panel I was on at Tribeca? And he said, no, it was some British girl called Joanne, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming we're talking about you? Yes. All right. So uh, that movie, Eileen, Willie Mackerel's second, uh, oh, am I saying his name right? No, I think I'm saying his name wrong. Anyway, okay. you have to look it up. Eileen uh-huh. came out uh, in last year's Sundance. So Jamin produces films at that kind of level. So they they both were in my uh, feature film competition. And I know at least four of those films got completed. So, you know, when you give filmmakers a path, yeah. um, it's really useful because they they tend to never have a path. When I, when I meet a filmmaker, they have no path to getting their film made. And it and I like they just to have say, an idea and a passion. It's not their with no fault. direction. It yeah. it's not that they have no direction. Okay. Because they will work all day, all night. Yeah. But they don't know where to put their efforts. And so I my part of my job is simplifying things. Mm. And so um I have this seven step process S stands for script, but uh-huh. marketable script, because our yeah. goal from day one is getting distribution. Yes. Always going to be, the end point is going to be distribution. And then you is making a film. You is you make your film. You make your film. Because okay. many filmmakers think, oh, I'm going to find somebody else to produce my film. I'm going to find somebody else to raise my money. And mm, I'm like, no. no. Uh, no. Usually, if you're making your first feature film, that's not going to happen. You're going to. If you want to make it, you produce it yourself. And then C is calculate the value of your film. Right. Now, that's what we were just referring to when mm-hmm. I talked about the Denzel Washington example. See, most filmmakers uh, will tell you what the budget of their film is. Like you just said, yeah. naturally, $40 million. Yeah. But what I do is I look at the value of the film. So we established that the value was $20 million because we have Denzel Washington in it. He's if, a heavy hitter, yeah. If the value is $20 million, we're not going to spend $20 million to make it. You spend 10. You spend less to make it. Less to make What if it. you spend five? Really? Can you still make a, a good... I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. looking at it from a business perspective, Point of view. you know, some people will say 10, some people will say five, some people will say 20, right? Yeah. But, But if you start thinking about it from a business perspective, so you need to know how much your film is worth. And most filmmakers will tell me, you can't know that. Yes, you can. I I have a client, very intelligent person. All my clients are. He runs two businesses. And before he met me, he had raised $1.7 million to make a movie. I know every filmmaker out there is thinking, if I had $1.7 million, you should see how well I would do with my movie. His film has made $330,000. Wow. Now, I've seen the movie. That's a lot of money for that movie. He's done very well with that movie. But he just didn't know certain strategies. And that's why we need a consulting producer like (laughs) Joanne Butcher. Hello. Yes. But seriously. So he's just finished his second film now. He made a film for $150,000, partly because he was just like, I'm really scared of messing up again. And then the other C is create. A distribution film. Yes, a, a plan, distribution sorry. plan because yeah. we. I always want to be aiming towards distribution. So, what is that distribution look going to look like? And it's also to do with money, because how much can we really earn from mm. distribution? And then the E stands for the easiest fundraising, fundraising plan. plan for you. 
just yesterday, somebody said to me, oh, it's easy to raise money. I said, no, it's not. And oh, I, no, it's not. I refuse to use the word easy with fundraising, but it took me a few years to use easiest. So I teach seven different ways of fundraising. And for every filmmaker and for every project, yeah. there is a fundraising path that is better for them than for another person. Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> and if you hire a good consulting producer like Joanne, you're working smarter. But yes. really, I yes. think people before they start yes. get the get the idea, get the passion. But I, I never even realized that a consulting producer existed. I had no and you're you're teaching me the value of what you do. Mm. You really are, I would say, the foundation of a lot of work. A lot of movie work. People need to consider, yes. hey, I'm gonna make my movie. Or I'm going to I have a passion for this, but I need to find a consulting producer before I go through any other steps. Well, I, I would have to say yeah. that lots of people have the title consulting producer and consultant yeah. could be a lot of things. Yeah. I'm a fundraising expert. That's mm. what I bring to the table. I'm okay. a fundraising expert. I like that. I have raised millions of dollars. I have raised small amounts of money. So that's what I'm the other is, right? Expert. You're starting you start, start fundraising. fundraising. Yeah. And then when you say start production, what does that so, mean? So what what I mean by that is that when I make a, meet a filmmaker, yeah. they want to start production. They're ready. They want to get going with production, and I'm like, hold up. <laughs> so first of all, we're going to do all these other things. We're going to make sure our script is marketable before we produce it. We're going to make sure that you understand that you are going to be the one with the responsibility of raising the money to make this film that you know what the value of the film is, that you know what your distribution plan is going to look like, and that you know what your fundraising strategy is going to be before you start it, mm. then we're going to start fundraising. And that. then we're going to start production. So a lot of times, like books about filmmaking will talk about how prepared you have to be. And it's all about the scheduling and the locations and the hiring. All of that's great stuff, yes. but it's not about the preparation that I see, which is we want to have the money so that we can make the film. And that sounds like a very Show simple me the money. thing. It sounds simple yeah. when I say it, but we've been talking all this time to sort of get to that simplicity of we need to raise the money first so that we can make the film. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I have this idea that there are two ways of raising money. One is to reduce your expenses and one is to raise money. So that's why I threw out, if we make the Denzel Washington movie for 10 million, well, what if we make it for five? Yeah. Right? Not to say that Denzel yeah. would ever agree to be in a $5 million I hope movie. you will. <laughs> <laughs> but all I'm saying is, if we start looking at it from a business perspective, yeah. you know, I, I filmmakers... All around the world. You yeah. say, hi, what's your name? Uh, my name's Tom. And my budget is, they're always going to tell you what your bu their budget is. You know, it's $2 million. It's a, the highest number anybody came to me with was $69 million. Ooh. Again, very smart woman, very experienced on a set. Wow. Run every single department on a set. And she had been shopping her film for six years with a budget of $69 million. Now, you're looking at me like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I just heard somebody recently say, oh, I need $100 million to make my first film. True. So, so filmmakers are all you know off the charts. But anyway, the $69 million budget lady 
is currently making a film with me for $100,000 and she is happy as a clam. Wow. Why? Because filmmakers need to be making movies. She spent six years pitching with 69 a film. Millions, and she's happy with you and $100,000. $100,000. You need to seek this, this lady out. I'm just saying, guys. <laughs> I mean, but truly. Because why? Because yeah. she's making a movie. That's what filmmakers need to be doing is making a movie, not talking to people for six years about money that they could never possibly raise. Ever. Now, Joanne is a newly published author with her book, yes. Getting Your Film Funded, Produced and Distributed Globally, right? Yes. This book gives you the tools to make your film a success through Joanne's experience working with filmmakers and the steps she takes her clients through with their films. Now, two really important things, guys. The book is currently available for pre-sale on Amazon and will be available in hard copy on January 1st, 2024. Again, Amazon, pre-sale, hard copy, January 1st, 2024. Go get it. And number two, what is the greatest gem or piece of advice they can get from your book? One of the greatest. Mm. Obviously, don't give away the reason why people buy the book, but... can give it away but uh i think that it's about mindset because um if i if i use that example of somebody working for 69 for six years trying to get money for a 69 million dollar film that she could never have got right um a lot of filmmakers think if I just have enough passion, if I believe in myself enough, if I go out there and I work hard, this will happen. No it won't because you don't have the right information. But mindset. The mindset things that can get in the way. Yeah. Wisdom. Yeah. Also things like I'm not good enough. My script isn't good enough. People are telling me no because of my script. They weren't telling her no because of her script. And that's why that woman froze because she probably had all those ideas attacking her before she made that final call to you saying, hey, I'm ready for my movie to be distributed mm-hmm. officially. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. So, so mindset the, really is important. Yeah. The first beta readers of my book are telling me how empowered they feel when they finish reading the book, which you give them hope because it's not I don't it's funny because that's all all my work is about that but I don't talk about it particularly I'm very talk about the concrete practical things yeah but but if you guys want the concrete practical things Amazon hard copy January 1st 2024 (laughs) all right go ahead but a lot of times it's it's um the mindset and the fear that holds people back and gets in the way one of my favorite classes I teach I have to do this soon is called is my script good enough well, is my script good enough? Somebody out there going to tell me if it's good enough or not? I have no interest. If To me, if I get a script and it's a 7 out of 10, now what are we going to do to make it a 10 out of 10? Oh, I like that. If it's a 3 out of 10, what are we going to do to make it a 10 out of 10? 10, out of 10 we yeah. could do this, we can do that, we can do it. So filmmakers are obsessed with Am I good enough? Is my script good enough? Am I good enough as a director? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And I'm like, no. Okay, how much money do we need? Okay, let's get into raising that money. And it gets people off this, I call it the bottomless ocean of, of self-doubt. self-doubt. Yes. <laughs> oh, my like, goodness. It's like, 
as actors and singers and people in, in art, we I think all of us either I always meet two the two kinds of people. People who are overly confident. Yes. They're like the Titanic. They don't come to I'm me. never gonna <laughs> sink. And so they finally meet that iceberg that sinks them mm. and then they're humbled to the floor. Or you have those who never even get off the boat. Uh-huh. Because they're too afraid to try. So yes. you literally are the middleman between that. And yes. by at least getting your advice, right? Yes. You make it you, you give people hope that it's possible. Well, it's right? also that if I if we're in if we're drowning in the ocean of self doubt, yeah. and then somebody comes along and says, "Okay, let's fi- focus over here. Let's decide how much money this film is worth. That's let's that decide what we're going to yeah. raise." It's amazing because then the filmmaker is no longer drowning over there. They're like, "Oh, oh, they're focused uh, on one I thing." I got this, and and then they have they take all of that energy and creativity and they focus it on this other path and it's like they just take off it's like i see my clients just take off and you're right i'll tell you about an actor client of mine she had the worst inner critic voice i'd ever come across in my life and she was dying to be an actor and she wasn't acting and had never done any acting when i met her so i called her inner critic mildred that was like the worst name I could think of, Mildred. No offense and, to old Mildred. Mildred's is a beautiful name, but for this for this uh, purpose, we're, we're choosing Mildred. Mildred. Yes. And so she was going to make her first short film with me, and she didn't believe she could write it. She ended up writing it. She didn't believe she could end up uh, acting in it. She acted in it. And I mean, dread so is in the in the name, but go ahead. She raised um, eleven thousand six hundred something dollars to uh-huh. make her short film. Uh, that was one of the many crowdfunding campaigns, and and the sessions with her were tough, yeah, because Mildred would take over and just you know talk her down and talk her out of doing things. And I would say to her, I don't want to talk to Mildred. I want to talk to Kylie. Shut up, Mildred. And so we got through. And the fact that she ran a crowdfunding campaign and raised that money is astounding. You know what she's doing now? She just recently graduated from a top theater school in England. And she uh, finished her short film, which is going around in festivals and so on. And she's still staying in England and working on acting. So she's like that phoenix rising from the ashes. She she hadn't done any acting at all. She just had this dream. She killed Mildred. Mildred's gone. I said to her the other day, so how's Mildred? She said, who's Mildred? Oh. <laughs> and with that, I have to ask you, I always ask everybody, how do you wish to be remembered? Um, and I'm also but- going to ask you one more thing to add to that. If there's one word that sums the total of your work thus far, what would that be? Stories. Stories, Stories. is the word. Yeah. And how do you wish to so be So if I give the example yeah. of, of, of Mildred, who's gone away, what, what Kylie did was to bring into life Kylie mm-hmm. by, by telling her story. And I would argue when she did her crowdfunding campaign, that was the first time that she brought herself into life mm-hmm. by saying, I'm a filmmaker, I'm an actor, and, and I'd like you to help me make my film. She she brought her real self into life. And it was so funny. One day we were on a on a Zoom call with all my clients and Kylie was so excited and she, she never thought she could do that. Yeah. And she was, t- I said, tell everybody how you did it, you know, with her crowdfunding campaign and everything. And I, uh, in a joke, I said to her, okay, don't tell anybody else this. It's 
course, there's a big group of people, right? I said, don't tell anybody else this, but I do therapy through fundraising. Therapy through fundraising. Yeah. While you're getting the business side taken care of, you're also taking care of your mind. I'd say it the other way around. Okay. That by being willing to speak your story, that is what's going to allow you to raise money. So every story, no matter what background you've come from, use that because that's the gem, is yeah. the story. And yeah. no one can have your story because we nope. all have a unique story. Nobody can have your story. So guys, for any filmmakers, actors, anyone out there willing to share their art, just know that you, you were put in your place for a reason. You were born at this time for a reason. You were given your accent for a reason. Use it all as a rich treasure and change your mindset so you can tell your story. Because the minute you try to copy someone else, you're not telling your story and no one can feel that and understand that. Ask yourselves, guys, who have you touched, right? Whose lives have you changed for the better? Will humanity ultimately benefit from your contribution of art? When you're no longer here, what are you leaving behind? If you're not helping generations to come by even changing one life with the talent and the art that we were given by God, then what is your true purpose here? Use the time you were given and the art you are gifted with to give others your gift of your story that will be cherished forever. Like a never-ending stream of love, right? Enlightenment and pure life. Get your stories. Stories. <laughs> Guys, uh, let me get my tissue somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> wow. I've, Joanne, it really has been an honor having you on here. Um, but as always, if you feel like commenting and listening to more of this podcast, remember to subscribe to Cinema Pathway Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our store online at paradoxicalfilm.com store to get your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast. Again, that's cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast. Um, not just for the stories, not just for the gear, but if you want something that can possibly give light to your life and direction, listen to our podcast. You're only going to get real and honest and raw here. So we hope we get to have you again. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us in the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Michael Angel Malachi. Our producer and director is the lovely Juliette Asson. And our associate producer is Victor Hugo Pereira. The executive producer and editor is Freddie R. Rodriguez. This was a presentation by Paradoxical Films. And please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com. Again, that's www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. And you can also email us if you like at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com. Again, that's cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send all comments, suggestions for all future episodes. Lights out! <laughs>